This is episode 251 of the Beyond the Food Show. And today we share the story of Mandy, a mom of two who decided to unlearn diet culture. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Going Beyond the Food Show. I'm Stephanie Dodzie, clinical nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor, creator of the Going to Beyond the Food Method. And after a 25-year dieting career that started at the age of 12, I decided to say hell no to diet culture and hell yes to living my life to the fullest in my now body. And I made it my mission to help smart, successful women like you live confidently, unconditionally right now. Ready, sister? Let's do this. Hello, sisters. Today, we're going to talk about diet culture and autonomy. It's in our human DNA to seek autonomy as we become adult, to be independent, self-sufficient, and not having to fit anyone else's expectation but our own and simply be ourselves. But diet culture gets in the way of our autonomy as women. It tells us what to eat, how to move, what size our body should be, what shape our body should be. And to be honest, just a few years ago, the term diet culture was almost unknown. Yet, according to research, diet culture is impacting 91% of us women in Western society. Diet culture, though, has been present in women's lives since the early 1900. And as of today, in 2020, it's more present than ever. So when we hear the word diet culture for the first time, many of us thought that it referred to people being on a diet. So right now I have a kind of a litmus test for you. When I say the word diet culture, is that what you believe? I know for me, that's what my belief was at first, that it simply meant being on a diet. And because I wasn't on a diet, I wasn't impacted by diet culture. If you're new around here, it may be the same for you. But I want to take a minute to define diet culture, since this is what this podcast is about, right? So what I'm going to share with you right now is not my creation. It's a creation of Christy Arison, a colleague of mine, who has the most well-explained definition of diet culture. And as a sum, she defines it as a belief system that worship thinness and equates it to health and moral virtue. Now, most experts in our field agree that diet culture was born in the early 1900s, just as the feminist movement was successfully claiming women's power back. And as we know, at first with the right to vote, But patriarchy responded to this gain of political power at first with diet culture. You have to realize that before diet culture, religion was the effective agent of control over women. Even reproduction was an agent of control over women. But the shift happened with the liberation and the empowerment of women and the obsession with women's body and size and beauty was becoming and is currently the next agent of oppression in attempting to keep women quiet and docile. And darn it, it worked. (laughs) 
Can we just say that? Like diet culture is very efficient as a system of belief. I know for me, 25 years of my life was spent under the doom, under the oppression of diet culture. I believed that I wasn't enough because of my beauty and the size of my body. Right now, diet culture oppresses millions of women from all over the world. And unfortunately, for most of these women, they don't even know it's happening to them. So how does diet culture impacts a woman's life. The first and most critical impact of diet culture is with her mindset. The constant mean girl voice in our head judging and critiquing everything we do. Since our thoughts creates our feeling, diet culture thoughts makes us feel not good enough, doubting ourselves and feel ashamed. This means that we spend most of our life thinking that we are broken just because we don't look like the impossibly thin ideal. That's just one angle. There's three more angles that I want to explore with you in which diet culture impacts our life. The second angle is that it promotes weight loss as a mean of attaining this higher status. It makes us feel compelled, almost obligated to spend a massive amount of time and energy and resources trying to shrink our body so we can fit the thin ideal. Now, research is very clear that the dieting model has a 95% failure rate. So why are we doing it? Good question. The next angle, it's demonizing certain way of eating while elevating other. Diet culture forces you to be hyper-vigilant about your eating, shaming you for making certain food choices and distracting you from the pleasure of eating, including your purpose and your power over your whole life. And finally, diet culture oppresses people who don't match the supposed picture of health or the thin ideal. This affects us most particularly as women, although it is starting to affect men. Diet culture is all around us. And that's why for many women, not understanding the concept of diet culture, they don't even know they're in it because it's part of how we were raised. It's part of how we live our life. It influences how we speak, how we exercise, how we eat, the clothes we wear, how we feel, how we speak to other people, and how we talk to ourselves. We live and breathe diet culture every day, yet most people don't even know they're doing such things. That's because it's so deeply embedded in our brain, in our life, that it seems completely normal. That is until you start digging into it or listening to this podcast. But here's the cool thing. Are you ready for this, ladies? We have a choice. I mean, this is what the feminist movement has fought for us to do, right? Power of choice. You and I do not have to live our life accordingly to diet culture rules and expectation. You can decide to opt out. Totally up to you. You can stay in or you can say, Hell no, no more for me. 
Diet culture is why we feel so terrible about ourselves, why you feel like you're wasting your life and why you feel exhausted all the time and why you're playing small where you know you're capable of so much more. You can do something about it. You can change. You have the power to impact your own freaking life, sister. This is what Mandy decided to do. Mandy is our guest today on the podcast. She's a 42-year-old, <laughs> I can't remember exactly, 242 or 43-year-old, mother of two. She's a student of mine, and she decided to change her reality. You'll hear her share her story from the beginning to the end. But before we roll the interview, I want to highlight something that gets many women stuck in diet culture, even though they know it's sucking the life out of them. <laughs> and that might be you. Sister, if you know that diet culture sucks, you know that diet don't work. You believe that all bodies are worthy. You even call yourself a feminist, but you are still stuck in it. Stuck in diet culture. Perhaps you are even stuck in it in secret. If that's you, listen up. <laughs> Ready for this? The most frequent reason why women get themselves stuck in this is because they think they should know how to get out of it simply by reading anti-diet book, listening to the podcast like this one you're listening to right now, and your perfectionistic expectation of yourself isn't realistic. This is diet culture playing at you, thinking you should have it figured out by now on your own. See, it doesn't work. Imagine this is the diet culture voice. Hear me out on this. You aren't supposed to know how to get out of it, because if you did, you would have done it by now, right? How to unlearn diet culture isn't an intellectual process. It's not an intellectual experience. It's practical. It's small practices daily. Now, granted, some women can just read the book and listen to the podcast and liberate themselves. But for most of us, the book, the podcast aren't enough. It sure wasn't for me. Even today, I'm going to give you something out here, a little secret. I still being mentored as an intuitive eater. I have a mentor in this process of learning to release the shackle of diet culture. Now, the how to unlearn diet culture, this is what I do. I don't do the work for you because I can't do that. Only you can do that work. What I do is to show you how to unlearn diet culture. I outline the step-by-step, -step, the processes, the action you need to take, things you need to do in your day-to-day -day life. Then you go out and apply them in your life. I guide you. I show you the way. I shine the light at the end of the tunnel. But you do the walking towards the light yourself. So here's a question for you. Why is the process of unlearning diet culture not intuitive to some of us. It's not intuitive to some women to unlearn diet culture in the process. 
I want you to go back to your first diet. The first time you went on a meal plan, started paleo, keto, weight watcher, whatever. Can you remember this far? And inside of you in my own memory, that was at 12 years old when I was taken to Weight Watcher. Now, I don't have a lot of memory of the actual dieting portion of this first diet in my life. What strikes me the most is more the feeling of shame of being weighted in front of adults. <laughs> I know, never do that to your own children. It's very traumatizing. But what I have memory of is fast forward three years later, I'm now 15 years old, and I'm on my second diet. And I took part of a program called Mince vie, belle amour. So if you're French listener, you know what I just said. But for most of you that aren't French, let me translate this for everyone. The name of the program was Thin for Life, Beautiful for Life. <sighs> Can you feel the oppression in just the name of the program? It's crazy. I gasp at just hearing the name of the program. Talk about objectifying women. Honestly, this program was a French Quebec version of Weight Watcher. Anyhow, that was the first diet that I was fully conscious of doing, the first diet that I was in control. And the, I wanted to diet. It wasn't someone else choosing for me. It was me. I had a deep, deep desire to lose weight because I thought it was going to fix everything in my life. So I took charge. Now, when I walked into this room in this program, I remember being overwhelmed by the complexity of the diet at first. Not that it was really, truly complicated looking back. It was simply a low calorie, low fat, you know, typical 80s diet. But the concept of restriction was new to me. I didn't know how to do it, but that's what the program taught me how to do. The program gave me a book with the how-to, with the yes and no food, a form to track my meal, and a coach to review my food journal and coach me once a week, and a meeting, a space to go once a week where other women were doing the same program so we could learn more and be motivated with each other. That's how we learn. Is that something similar to your own experience of your first diet? Well, guess what? Unlearning diet culture is the same process, but backwards. That's what we do inside of Conquer and Thrive. I reverse engineered the process. We created the most successful path that I have observed in working with women that will change how you relate to your body, to food, and to your mindset in the most efficient way that I have found working with all the women that I've worked with. So let me give you a highlight of this how-to. There's five steps. Number one, examine what you were thought. You know, what you were thought about your body, the food, how your caregiver, your parents interacted with their own body, the food, and considering the socialization that you've received on how to be a woman. Step two, disidentifying from the old belief and the thoughts. And this is where the big hell no phase comes in. <laughs> Tear down the voice of internalization. As a grown ass woman, you get to choose what you believe in 
and the thoughts you want to carry with you moving forwards. You also learn to create new thoughts and you believe that represent who you are and who you want to be. You create a narrative for yourself. Step three, you reconnect with your autonomy. You have everything within you to know what's right for you. You have power over your life, your body and food, and we help you make that your reality. You become the boss of you. Step four, you liberate yourself and your body. This is the big hell yes phase. You affirm yourself in the world. You wear the clothes that makes you feel fantastic. You take pleasure in eating the food you love. You believe in your unconditional self-worth. You live unapologetically. And the last step is you redefine your future. The future you want to create for yourself and the world around you. You get to consider the impact you have on the next generation of women, and even for mothers, your own children. And you'll hear Mandy talk about that. You get to be the woman you wanted to be and the women you needed to learn from when you were younger. You get to lead. Here's what it comes down to. A choice. A choice you have to make for yourself. And that's the choice that Mandy did for her. And that's what we will share with you in the next 20 minutes as we listen to her journey on learning diet culture. She'll talk about where she started, how she was raised in a family that dieted, how the trigger point in her life threw her literally over the edge, fully like overhead in diet culture. And most important, the changes that happen beyond the food, how her relationship with her husband is completely changed, how she got her sexy back, how she can cuddle with her kids. And it even impacted her career. And she now has her dream job. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the show, Mindy. Hi, so happy to be here. I am very excited to share your journey with the wider public. I think you're going to have a touch a lot of women's hearts. So let's get started with who Mandy is and how we came to meet. So who am I? I'm Mandy and I'm a mother of two boys, ages eight and 10. I'm 42. I have a husband I've been married to for over 10 years you know, live in the suburbs. I work as an accountant part-time for my husband's company, but it's always been my dream to be a teacher. So I've had an opportunity to step into that recently. So I'm kind of working two part-time jobs, which equal more than a full-time job and then add on the homeschooling through the pandemic. So life's been busy. Yeah, because we're recording this in June, 2020. So right coming out of the pandemic, right? Yes, yes. So the door's locked because my kids are here and (laughs) so they won't interrupt. But that's me in a nutshell, I guess, uh, my personal side. And then uh, I first found you, Stephanie, through a different podcast. You were a guest. And I had just gotten out of the trenches of my eating disorder. And I had found the world of keto, the -hmm. keto diet. Um, That's where I went after being in the trenches of the eating disorder. And you were a guest on a podcast and you were talking about going beyond the food. And something clicked 
And I just said, I want that mentality. I want to get away from the food. The food was consuming my life. I was scared of it. I obsessed over it. Um, so something resonated. And I then subscribed to your podcast and kept getting more of a flavor of what you're all about. And then you were offering, um, I think it was called the Food Freedom Program. Yeah. Um, Back in the days. And so I you know, got my toes wet with that. And then that was very impactful for me. So then I took the leap and joined the Academy, um, which was uh, invaluable lessons have been learned there. So that's, uh, that's how I came to find you. You were a guest on a podcast. Thank you. I think it yeah. was a Keto for Women show. And I'm so big on things happen for a reason. I really believe that. So I really feel like you came into my life at just the right time. Because if you had come to me in my life, even six months earlier, but definitely a year, two, three years prior, I would have shut you off because I was not ready to Mm -hmm. hear that yet because I was so deep in my own eating disorder that it would have fallen on deaf ears. So I really feel like you came along right at that step where I was ready to take the next step to find the food freedom and, and we, our paths crossed. So it was meant to be. I think it's really important to share that because when you're in that phase and we'll get to understand like your eating disorder and where you were, but when we are distraught, um, we often, negate our intuition like meeting and hearing the right message and i keep reinforcing that like don't negate that little voice that says like you need to do this but you feel scared which i'm sure we'll get into this you were scared but you still did it because you just knew that it was the right thing yes can you talk about your eating disorder a little bit sure so i was probably at the height of my eating disorder in 2014 and 2015 And it was definitely anorexia. Um, I was never diagnosed by a doctor, but, and when I started on this journey, I was really afraid. I felt like I was labeling myself saying that I had an eating disorder and I had anorexia. And I felt like I might be doing the community of those that were really diagnosed by a doctor with anorexia disservice. But after going through this in hindsight's 2020, I wholeheartedly believe that I had full-blown anorexia. Um, I was at the height of my eating disorder. I was severely restricting. I was using um, one of those shake meal replacement programs, mm-hmm. like two out of the three meals a day. Everything was measured and um, five, six. And at my lowest, I was below a hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. So it was, and I remember looking in the mirror one day at my face and it looked like I was one of those people from Michael Jackson's thriller video mm-hmm. where they have the dark circles under their eyes. And I just thought, wow, I need to eat something. Um, so even at that low point, I still didn't make a change. It was still some more time went by. And then I started having digestive issues with the shakes. So I said, I, I need to start eating food. So that was the first baby step. So I found the keto world. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny, the keto, because, and when I first started working with you, you used to say, keto's a diet. And in my head, I'm screaming, no, it's not. It's a way of life. <laughs> because in my mind at that point, I was eating real food, right? So in my mind, I'm like, this is okay. But 
you know, here I am further along my journey. And keto is 100% a diet. I love that. You're like, yes, it is. It is. I was restricting. I was monitoring and restricting my macros. I was weighing my food. Like I was weighing lettuce. Yeah, I remember that. I don't think there's a calorie, calorie, um, you know, value assigned. I was weighing, that's how bad it was. Um, So it was actually at that point when I was um, a little bit into my keto journey that we crossed paths. Um, So again, it was kind of like at the perfect time. How was your life with like the family and the husband Uh-oh. back at that, that Great point question. of restriction? My family, we had so many fights because they kept saying to me about stuff about my weight and what I was and wasn't eating. Um, so many arguments. And my husband and I, very big arguments. And because I had such low self-esteem mm-hmm. and I was so hyper aware of my body because it was my focus all the time that we would only be intimate when I felt beautiful and perfect and there's nothing flapping around or anything. So you never have that perfect feeling. I was going to say, how many times did that happen? Well, we didn't, we weren't intimate for over two years. That's how bad it was. Yeah. So because I didn't want him to see, to see me and I never felt attractive enough to, you know, he would, you know, make moves to instigate something. And I would just, no, I don't feel, you know, it's not a good night. So that was really hard on the marriage. Um, And then with my kids, um, they are at the age where when they would come up and hug me, they hug me right around my middle. Like their Mm -hmm. head is right at my belly and they're squeezing me at my middle, which is very sensitive, has always been a sensitive spot for me, my belly. So I actually was pushing them away. I didn't want them hugging me, which now in my head, like that's just craziness to me. Um, so, th- so that was an impact uh, my relationship. But in that moment, if any women is there and they're fully validating their decision of not letting their kids hug them or not having intimate moment, it felt like the right decision. It did because it just felt you know, this is me. I have this issue and I'm, this is how I deal with it. And my body image was absolutely in the gutter. When I was at the height of my eating disorder, I thought I was fat and I thought that I could lose more weight. Like I just was, it's just a total mental, just, you know, dysmorphia thing. How how did you get, because uh, do you mind sharing your age? I'm 42 right now. 42. So were you in a state of disordered eating or eating disorder for the majority of your life or something that happened later? Like what was the trigger to get to that point? Is there any? Well, you actually helped me with this. Um, One of your, um, one of the um, every other week calls with the coaching calls. Yeah. Um, So a couple, there's a couple of things. Uh, I've always over-exercised ever since I was in my early twenties. That's been, that's been happening. I'm much better now, but so that was a consistent thing. And then I think what the trigger was for me, and this is what you helped me Mm -hmm. come to the realization of is I got married in my early thirties, quickly got pregnant with my first, and then two and a half years later had my second. And Life was not my own anymore. I couldn't use the bathroom by myself. 
Going to the store was a huge project. I didn't close shop for a long time. I didn't get my go for, you know, get my nails done or something like that. Just a little me time. Um, that didn't happen for a long time. So in hindsight, I think it was me trying to have control over something in my life. This is what you helped me come to the realization with. Um, And in hindsight, it's so true because when you're a parent, your life is not your own anymore. You have to schedule what you want to do because everything else is around the kids and the spouse. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really believe that that's what led to it because I was always, uh, once I came out of the eating disorder and started working with you, I was always perplexed. Like, why in my late 30s, early 40s, am I dealing with this? Because stereotypically, it's the teenagers yeah. or the 20-year-olds. So I had brought that question to the coaching call, um, and you helped me come to that realization, which was amazing because it answered the question, and it helps me see my process more, my, my, my journey. I think it helps also understanding that it's not your fault, like it's nothing broken with you. It's a series of things that have happened that led us to have these behavior that got us into trouble. Right. Exactly. Right. You know, it's not just the family. I was trying to, um, you know, I was working, so I'm trying to please my boss, um, my coworkers. I'm trying to pull my weight at the job. I'm trying to pull my weight in the household. Um, and I think it just got, uh, to be too much. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the other piece I want to go to is when you started with us, right? So people think that like you go from hyper restriction to like intuitive eating in one day. That's not the way it works, right? And do you mind taking us from like that moment you're like, I have to do this. I press the purchase button and then you start like, can you take us back to that? And how was your preparation and your starting point? So when I um, pressed the purchase button, I was still on keto and I stayed on keto for a little while, even though, because I was thinking, you know, it's not a diet. She's crazy. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. Right. So I stayed with the keto for a little while. And, um, I remember you saying in the beginning to, you know, lift the restrictions, all food is good. And I'm thinking, I can't eat cookies. I can't eat ice cream. That's going to set me back, right? Um, so I think I joined a little over a year ago. Yes. And I just recently got to the point where I will, without guilt, have dessert once in a while with my kids. Yeah. And I did go through the process. I'm sorry, I'm kind of jumping back and forth. But yeah, that's okay. through the journey, it wasn't a conscious decision. I just did start lifting restrictions. So potato chips were one of my things. And I, I started with them. I think it was, I lifted the restriction. The first couple of weeks I ate bags of potato chips. <laughs> the pendulum swing. It does. Oh the, yeah. The rubber band snapped, right? Yeah. We talked about the rubber bands. But what happened was at the end of those couple of weeks, I was so sick of potato chips that I didn't even want to touch one for a while. So say that was maybe a couple months, but then you know, once I got over that, you know, not interested, then I, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm my, my, my kids had some chips out. Uh, let me have a little handful. And that's all I wanted. Yes. You know, there was no restriction happening. I took some bites and I said, you know what, I'm good. I'm done. And then most recently, just last week, I, it happened with ice cream. Oh, good for you. I had a little bit of ice cream with my kids and, um, you know, someone that was over said, oh, who wants a little bit more? 
And I thought, I'm good. Like there wasn't the, oh, I want to have it, but I shouldn't. I didn't have any of that with the ice cream. Ice cream's my thing too. So, so that was big. So that, and you know, that's been a year plus of a process um, to go through. And I think it's, it's important for people to understand it's like black and white. Black and white is the diet mindset, right? It's a progress of rebuilding trust and respect for yourself. Yes. And the and one thing, uh, one of the major things I learned is going back into my childhood. Oh, okay. Talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah. And the thinking, um, thinking back to the women in my family. Mm. And the most vivid image I have is my mom when she was not a large woman. She wound up gaining weight later later in life. But at this point, she was nicely shaped. And I just, every day, she would say to me, is my belly big? Do I look fat? Right. And I was about 12 years old at the time when this was, you know, that I remember this. And um, the other women in my family, my grandmom, my mom's sisters, my aunts, um, always on a diet, always there was always something on the table they weren't allowed to eat. And they would talk about it. And they would talk about how they need to lose weight. And typically, they weren't overweight, you know. Mm. Um, so and so that, that was a huge thing for me to take it back that far. And it connected the dots to me because my most sensitive area is my belly. And True. to think back, take myself back to my mom standing in my bedroom saying, is my belly big? Do I look fat? And I'm like, Wow, it goes back that far. That's where it's coming from. Again, not a flaw of you. It's just something you learned. Yeah, it's been ingrained. And then as you always have have talked about is, you know, the social media and um, the print ads of these, you know, wayfish looking women. It's just not, it's not reality. No. So yeah, so that was a huge learning. And I'm assuming that's impacting your own relationship with your own children, because one of the thing that mm-hmm. we, so when you talk about your mom passing it on to you, that's what we call intergenerational trauma, right? Your yes. mom without wanting to arm you just didn't know any better, passed it on to you, which is the case of most of us sisters at this point in time, when you're like 20 and over, we've all learned from our caregiver and our parents, you are breaking the cycle now. I am. And I have noticed it as well. There was a time, maybe a couple years ago, where my kids, my oldest, who's 10 now, started saying, if there was, you know, food on the table, oh, well, I know you're not going to eat that, mom, you know, about the one food. And it started hitting me, like, they're seeing me make these food choices that really don't make much sense, right? Like, why aren't I, why am I not putting the sauce on the meat or the, you know, whatever, um, and then I actually did sit down and have a conversation with them. Oh, you did? I remember coaching you, but I don't know where it ended. Yeah. So they, um, they do remember me being on that meal shake meal replacement program. Mm-hmm. And my oldest will bring that up like every once in a while. So finally I had sat him down and I said that I had made bad food choices when I went on to that program and we should all be eating real food all the time. Um, and it's whatever you feel good eating is what you should eat. And if you feel good eating ice cream, you should have the ice cream. You know, if you feel not good having ice cream, then don't eat the ice cream. Mm. Um, so we had a pretty in-depth conversation about that. And I do think they got it because yeah. now they'll say something to the effect of, because there are things that I just don't like, 
Yeah. So now they'll say, oh, mom, I know that you don't like, you know, baked beans if they're on the table or something. Oh, you don't like those. I'm like, no, I've never, even as a kid, I never ate them. <laughs> so there's a, a significant difference in the food conversation at the table now. Yeah. And, and how old are they, the kids? They're eight and 10 now. And the perfect age for you to start putting new thoughts in their head, right? Yes. Yeah. And my oldest, who is as skinny as a rail, he has in the past said something about he needs to lose weight. He needs wow. to. Yeah. That must have hit you, eh? Oh, smacks me in the face. And so now I'm always to, and in reality, he kind of needs to gain weight. Yeah. You know, so I've had the conversation about we're all made different. Not everyone is skinny. Not everyone has extra weight. And however you are is fine. Um, so I, he hasn't said that to me in quite a while. So I think he's in a better spot with that. I think it's important. Like many women ask me, like, when they realize the whole connection between like feminism and empowerment and body, they're like, how do we, how do I teach my children different? The only way really to teach is what you're doing, just you healing yourself and behaving mm -hmm. differently in the house. Like there's no other way to do this. Right. We have to act differently and lead by example. And that's how children learn. They learn from our behavior and know what we say. Absolutely. I think the actions speak louder than the words do. I think you have to do both. You have yeah. to walk the walk and talk the talk, but I think the actions are what really sticks with the children. And so Today, when you look back as you're telling your story, and I think for people who are listening to this that are not in our program, like this is the end phase I call of healing when you can speak about your story because a year ago you could have not done this podcast. No, mm -mm. right? You weren't ready to like talk about this publicly. It would have been very pain, very painful, and I don't, th I don't think I would have been as uh, been able emotionally to be as open. Yeah. So yeah. How is your life different today than it was, let's say, three years ago? Like, let's go in the, in the depth of it. Like, how is your life different? I've seen you like, and that's the thing about group coaching is you come on a call, I talk to you, I coach, and then you disappear. Like, I, and I wait for you to come back and need something else. And then, <laughs> so I can't piece it all together. Like, I remember coaching you on, I, one thing that vividly comes to my mind is the whole scale thing as you were winding down the scale. Like you, yeah. you came in, you were scared, like you were weighing salads. And yes. I think by the end of it, it was only protein. Like you gradually yes. wean it down. Yes. And that's what group coaching is about is I don't, I'm not with you. I don't hold your hand. You just, I just answer question, coach you. And then you disappear, you come back. So paint me a picture of today. Like how's Mandy's life today? Okay. So with, um, the food, um, yeah. I'll be honest, there is one thing I still weigh and I oh, don't do know you? why. <laughs> Okay, let's see what it is. It's my lunch. Okay. And I I don't know why. And in my head, I'm still telling myself, well, I just really like these proportions. Okay, you're justifying it. I am, right? Okay. But the funny thing is, is that I can scoop the protein out of the Tupperware container onto the scale, and I'm like spot on every time. Yeah. So I can eyeball it. I just don't know why it's, I think it's like a little bit of a crutch or something that I'm just holding. I, I don't well, know. I think we all have crutches, right? So I, I coached someone recently who um, she came to me after doing all the other experts intuitive eating program, but she wasn't measuring her food anymore. She wasn't weighing her food. 
She mm-hmm. was using a bowl. Oh, okay. Right. So she could eat chips, but just they could fit in that bowl. Mm-hmm. So they didn't eat anymore. So the crutch was she was using plates and bowls mm-hmm. to measure her food. Yeah. And she had to do a lot of work to get rid of the bowls. Right. Mm-hmm. But what she realized is that was her safety zone. Yes. As long as she kept the measuring for you or the bowl for her, she was still, quote, under control. It is. It's, and I've likened it to my, my one son. He has, um, like, a security stuffed animal. Yep. And yes. I, that, that's what and I was thinking about. I'm like, I just can't get rid of this one thing that I'm measuring. I don't know. So, but the other aspects of my life, my husband and I are happily intimate again. Um, <laughs> so that's going great. I have, as I mentioned, I did have a, as we've been talking about, I had the easy eating disorder. Mm-hmm. I was grossly underweight. I have not stepped on a scale in over two years. And I'm very adamant about that because I do have mental connection with the scale. So I don't really know how much weight I've gained, but I want to say there's been definite weight gain. That mm-hmm. was hard at first, um, feeling things jiggle that weren't jiggling before. Um, but I'm actually on the other side of it now. And as I'm talking about, I'm getting a little emotional because it's so liberating. Like, and when I look at myself in the mirror now, um, and I say every morning I do my mirror work, I'm very, I really love that. I actually look at my curves and I think, Mm. wow, you look like a really, you know, nice shapely woman. (laughs) Where before I looked like a like a boy almost when I was you know super skinny, um, so that's been uh, very liberating to embrace the jiggles. Um, I actually have boobs now; didn't have boobs before, so that's fantastic. <laughs> um, so the intimacy is back, and it's really nice because there are times where you know I still have days where I feel bloated. I think maybe we all do, but yeah. um, even on those days, if my husband, you know wants to instigate something, I'm like, okay, let's go. You're right, right in there. Like, like it doesn't limit you. Crap if you could, because he's very supportive. He's always told me that, you know, he's attracted to me. I'm beautiful and all that. Um, so I'm like, if he, he doesn't care that that's jiggling, I don't care. It's jiggling. Right. Because I feel okay with it. I, I feel, you know, and I'll even go as far as like, there are days I feel sexy. When I look at myself, I'm like, look at these curves. You know, I got a booty now. Isn't it amazing in a year, let's say a year and a half? I know, I know. And the hugging my kids, uh, it, it's very, we've overcome that. So now I I go to hug them and, yeah. you know, they're squeezing my belly and it's it's all fine. So the relationship is deeper. Very deeper. With my kids, they um, they hang on me. They want to cuddle with me. Um, oh, before they kind of knew not to touch me, which is horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've overcome that and we're on the other side of that now. Um, so there's lots of cuddling happening and stuff like that. You started the episode with one of your dream career wise was to be a teacher. Yes. How much do you attribute your personal work to having achieved one of those career pillar that you wanted to achieve? It's definitely related. So when I went for the interview, there was uh, two things. I definitely felt a renewed sense of confidence because I was, you know, into my journey at that Mm -hmm. point in my head, gained the healthy weight that I needed to gain. And I was feeling much better about myself. So I think that came through. But also when I interviewed, 
they um, had a few people from the department. They had we had lunch together. Previously, I would have either said I couldn't do a lunch because oh. I would have been so stressed out. What do they have for me to eat there? Is it food I can eat? You know, I would have been so stressed about. So I would have either said I can't do the lunch, um, or uh, I would have eaten beforehand. And then just pushed my food around on my plate at the lunch, you know, mm-hmm. so I was past that point. Um, that was actually one of the reasons I wanted to, you know, get away from being a slave to the food was the uh, implications, the impact on the social outings and everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I wholeheartedly, to answer your question, sorry, I wholeheartedly think that the work I'm doing here is impacting positively every aspect of my life. Um, and even relationships with friends, like I've mentioned, like I would turn down social engagements or if someone was having a party at their house, I would call them up and say, what kind of food are you serving? You know, just trying to be very friendly. Hey, you know, do you need any help? Well, what kind of food are you serving? In the meantime, I'm completely stressed out that I'm not going to be able to eat while I'm there. Um, I have even packed my own food and snuck out to my car and And eaten in the car while the party's going on because I was so far, you know, down that road of good food and bad food. Um, So again, I've gotten away from that. And you know, it's great. I remember having a discussion. I don't know if it's you with somebody else, but that's unfortunately what some of the diet guru keto teacher are teaching their people to bring their food at social events. So Mm -hmm. you have safe food or keto food to go to that event. Like now that you're looking back, like how crazy is this, right? That's what we're telling people they have to do. And looking back on it, I see that it was, uh, even though I was there at the party, it was very antisocial because I'm not engaging, I'm not breaking bread with them in the same, in, with the same bread there, you know, I'm not having the same meal with them. I was segregating myself yes, as to be different from them. And in hindsight, that wasn't healthy for the friendships. Um, and it was also insulting to the true, host, right? So, and when I was deep in it, I didn't care. I'm thinking, well, this is what I have to eat. And in some way, I know for me, I thought I was better than people because I would control my food. Oh, yes. Oh, and how, I think back how I used to, you know, like lecture people, mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, if you don't eat this, and and I think back to that, and I think, oh, what a disservice I did them trying to lecture them on that crap. Yeah. So now I try, and anybody that asks me, uh, I sh- I answer questions. Yeah. Because somebody that was involved like you in dieting must now get the question, which diet you're on. Are you getting, are people asking like what you're doing now or they don't? Well, mostly I, I get, oh, you gained weight. (laughs) In a good way, like with a smile. In a good way, because I was very underweight. Um, So I know it's in a good way, but I'm at the point, I like, I just don't think people should make any comments about other people's bodies. Totally agree with you. In any way, positive or negative. Um, So I cringe when I hear that. If they don't inquire further, I'll just let it go because I'm like, I don't want to sit here and have a conversation just about my body. But if it goes further, I'll go into, you know, I was really restricting my food. I lost too much weight and now I'm on a healthier journey. 
which is a good reaction, right? So as we go through our own journey, we can have these external interaction in a different level. Yes. And right now it's uh, for most people, it's just to leave it alone. Um, So we're going to wrap this up and I'm going to ask you the very important question. If you were listening to this podcast, like if there's other women like you listening right now, and they're in that place where they are hearing the message or listening to the podcast, but they're like, Oh, that like, I'm too broken for this. It can't be for me. Like, what would you say to that woman listening right now? I would say that all of that scariness and any overwhelmed feelings that you're having, they're very big in the beginning. And I recognize it and you should recognize it. But once you take that first, even just baby step towards the journey of food freedom, intuitive eating, getting out of diet culture, the learnings and growth that you will experience that I can say I've experienced is so much more than what you're feeling right now. Um, So I'm feeling I'm in my body right now and I'm just feeling contentment and confidence. I'm not sitting here hungry. I'm satiated with what I've eaten recently That is so much bigger. I feel like these words aren't even expressing it right than what you may be feeling now in that emotional overwhelmness. And that's not to belittle what you're feeling. It's just that once you take that baby step, the good that you get out of this journey so much outweighs the, what you're sitting in right now in that body negativity, in that diet culture, once you take that baby step and start seeing, I guess, the light, <laughs> yes, um, it's just so much more. And I'm actually at a point right now where in the beginning, there was a goal. I wanted to be confident in my body. I wanted to be content in my body. And I had these goals to get to. And I'm feeling it coming to me. I, I feel confidence. I feel contentment within my body. But right now, I'm not even thinking about getting to the goal because the journey is so wonderful, you know, like just connecting um, back to my body, you know, with the food restriction, you're really shutting your body down as you, Stephanie, talk about, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're not listening to yourself. So you really have to reconnect. Um, And once you reconnect, it is really mind blowing how you can be yourself again and feel good, really good, really, really good about yourself. So to that person who's feeling, you know, scared and vulnerable and overwhelmed, just take that first baby step. And I don't think you'll be up, uh, you won't regret it. And um, you won't look back. The only time you'll look back is if you have a story to 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 tell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so when you're at that point that you're ready to share, go ahead. You want to choose. Yeah, no, I'm just saying the journey is amazing. And um, one of the things that I'm really happy to be in the community is um, it's so refreshing that you've had your own experiences and you're so open with them. And to know, as you mentioned, that I'll come, I'll come in for a while and then you don't hear from me for a little bit. And that's good. You know, the kids and the yeah. work and the, And then, um, you know, I come back in and you're just always there to 
have a, you know, have an ear and to give advice. So yeah, it's been great. So to all those people out there, just take that first step, just do it. You won't regret it and you'll feel so good. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for being willing to share your story, to be vulnerable. I enjoy working with you and I hope that we continue to stay in touch well after this, because I think you give a lot to me also when you come on those calls and I can, because when we coach, one thing people don't realize when we coach, we coach ourselves, right? Because the struggle you have, because I'm in that journey too, I have also. So thank you for coming and presenting your story all the time for me to coach you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been, you know, now that I've just told my story like this, it's the first time I've done it. Did it? <laughs> I, now I'm, this is a part of my journey. Yes. This right here was so healing for me. And if my story inspires, you know, just one or a few, that's amazing. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Mandy. Hey, if you're new to the Going Beyond the Food Show, our podcast roadmap has been designed with you in mind. With over 250 episodes available to listen, it can feel overwhelming to know which episode to prioritize for you. The podcast guide answers the top five questions women have when they enter our world of going beyond the food to unlearn diet culture. To get your free copy of our podcast roadmap guide, head over to stephaniedozier.com forward slash roadmap or use the hyperlink in the show notes. I'll see you on the other side. Hey you, if you enjoy listening to this show, you have to come and check Conquer and Thrive. It's my monthly coaching program that comes with expert courses that will show you exactly how to take this life-changing work and apply it into your own life. We teach you how to change your mindset, eat intuitively, and master body confidence. That you've decided to stop dieting today or years ago, Conquer and Thrive will help you take this knowledge deeper into real-life practices. It comes with access to me as your coach and my team of experts. Join us by simply going to www.stephaniedozier.com forward slash join. I can't wait to meet you inside our Conquer and Thrive community. I'll see you on the other side.